0: Sunday panic. I I don't know if anybody's like this, but uh, with not preaching on Sunday, I had moments throughout the morning of like, wait, I don't have a sermon outline. Uh, And then remembering, oh wait, I don't don't have to have a sermon outline. I'm not preaching today. Um, But I have those, uh, I mean, I'd say probably five times uh, on Sunday morning, it hit me. I was like, oh no. Because I have, you know, dreams about this where you get up to preach and, I know I prepared something. Where is it? And can't find it. And um, I have that dream several times a year. But uh, so then on Sunday when I'm yeah, it's it's a wild wild adventure. Um, let's go to Revelation chapter two. I enjoyed Aaron this weekend, um, and uh, enjoyed having them here. And like I said, it's a uh, it's a it's in my heart to get young guys opportunities. Um, they're they're harder. Uh, I don't know, but I think maybe the, nowadays they might be easier to find than some some times past. But still, it's hard to get meetings for young guys, especially evangelists. The evangelist itself is uh, harder to find uh, these days than what there used to be. And uh, I enjoyed having them here, though. I hope you, you did as well. And uh, we'd like to have more young evangelists and evangelists in general in over over time as well. Revelation chapter uh, 2, we're looking at the church of Thyatira. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. Well, let's read and then I'll I'll make those comments, I guess. Uh, Revelation 2, starting in verse number 18. And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God. Now, again, you remember each intro here gives you something about God. And it says there, uh, Who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet... Are like fine brass. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works, again, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and then that uh, them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works." But unto you I say, and unto the rest of Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, uh, I will put upon you none other burden. But that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and the vessels of potter, excuse me, as the vessels of a potter, Shall they be broken to shivers, uh, even as I received of my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's pray, Lord. Thank you for letting us be back tonight, uh, and thank you for your Word. And to the as we look to the future, um, as so much of Scripture, we're looking to the past, uh, but Lord, we are looking ahead to see what is to come. Um, Lord, we are looking to uh, examine ourselves because of your word, to examine our church because of your word, uh, and Lord, just to learn of you, know more about you. So help us tonight as we look into this passage. Help me to present it clearly and correctly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you look in Scripture um, and you see women uh, in ministry, whether it be, yeah, I say it that way because you have Old Testament women, that that not necessarily in ministry, but uh, the Ruths and the... um, um uh what's Esther uh what's uh yeah, Deborah's not who I was thinking of. But anyways, it doesn't matter. Uh you got women in the old testament that are used of God. And then you've got in the New Testament you see some ladies brought up um that were very influential in the lives uh and in the churches and things like that. And uh, But it is interesting, the role, and we're going to actually see this in 1 Timothy on Sunday mornings, but um, the importance of the role in which God places us. Um, there is a mindset today that has uh, influenced churches to go away from what God says because they don't like the way God says it. And what I mean by that in this in this situation is women and their role within the church. What, what roles can they have? Which roles should they not have? And uh and there are things and and commandments in Scripture about the church and women in the church that some people really don't like. And it's funny because it, it is in in society, it's a it's a hairy topic. It's hard to uh, have the conversation with uh, people who disagree with God's word on it and, and whatever from that, that standpoint. But um, there are things in Scripture, is it not, where God was very clear on something and we go, man, if I could choose, that's not the way that I would do it. And uh, and, and then there's other things that we just don't understand. Well, God, but, but why? You know, I, I, I've talked with a fair amount of couples in my life and, uh, and, you know, and this, there's this mindset of, well, my wife is just, she knows more of the, of the Bible than I do. And she's just, uh, you know, she's a better example than I am. And it's just better that we kind of let her lead in that role. Well, that's not what the Bible says, <laughs> you know. Uh, and again, that doesn't mean that uh, women are not smart or are not godly or are not knowledgeable, or any of those things. And it doesn't mean that God looks down on the woman because he places the husband as the head of the household, or he places a man as the pastor of a church. It doesn't mean that God looks down on women at all. Actually, you go all the way back to Genesis, and you can see some of the uh, reasonings behind some of it, right? Uh, but you can also say Scripture, we're going to look at it some in First Timothy on Sunday morning. But we get to this church in Thyatira, and, uh, and it's interesting because there is a wicked woman... That is bringing down the church. And in all my years that I have spent in church, which has been all of my years, um, I have seen few people destroy a church more so than a woman. And that, uh, that might sound harsh, but if you've been around church for a while, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, whether it be a gossip, whether it be someone who uh, rules her house when she's not supposed to, uh, whether it be whatever whatever it is, an attitude uh, of wickedness that brings down the church. Now this one is a specific sin that's being talked about, a specific doctrine that's being taught uh, that, is, that is the reason for the downfall. Um, but it, it's, I don't know, it's interesting to me that we look at the instruction that we're going to look at tonight and to understand that in today's modern churches, and by modern I mean in the last, well in my lifetime at least, um, it's amazing how men are at fault, don't get me wrong, because uh, they're supposed to lead. Uh, men are at fault, but um, how quickly a woman can, uh, can, can ruin a church. Um, <laughs> I think of the church that I spent most of my years in growing up, uh, from third, I think third grade until I went to college. And uh, we had some very strong-willed ladies in the church. Um, and they had good husbands, they had good homes, um, and they were good ladies. I'm not, I'm not saying they weren't, uh, but they were strong will. And, uh, and I just remember as a kid kind of seeing it, You you don't think about it as a kid, but you, as you get older and you look back on it and you go, my goodness, they just, they just talked a lot. They are influential. They made a lot of things move, and some it was a good thing, right? They they're active and they're getting other people active, um, and then some of it you look back and go, maybe they didn't handle that the way they should have, both them and their husbands. Um, but look at Thyatira and look at what God has to say about. It. Well, let's first let's look at the emphasis on God in verse number eighteen, uh, where He says the angel of the church uh, is is uh, in Thyatira, right. These things saith the Son of God, who so who's the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who uh, hath eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. What we're seeing here is the fire and the brass is an is a picture throughout Scripture of um, trying something. You throw it in the fire to try it to prove it, uh, and judgment. Uh, the brass there in judgment. So you're seeing a God who is going to judge something. Um, we're seeing different characteristics or aspects of God or Christ through the, each of these churches uh, as we're introduced to God and His, um, uh, and His characteristic that is going into this church. And so this one heading into Thyatira and into this initial assessment here, we understand it's God, Christ, judging, um, good and bad, right? So when we hear the word judge or judgment, we usually think bad. That's the first thing that comes to our mind. It's a negative thought. But the reality is, and we're going to look at it, but the reality is, as is, is God says in verse number one of these verses, um, uh, we'll get to it. Well, I just read it. Anyways, he tells us that we're going to, uh, uh, hey, there it is, verse 23, at the end of the verse, I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Uh, judges is not always bad. If God is going to righteously judge something, then that means he's going to reward good uh, and right, and he's going to discipline or punish evil. And so judge being judged is not a bad thing if you have nothing to fear. <laughs> if you have nothing to worry of. Um, but anyways, because, and again, we're in a world where the judge doesn't always do right, and the law doesn't always work the way it's supposed to, and so we're all obviously pessimistic behind that. But nonetheless, God is a righteous judge, and he's going to do right. And we see that coming into Thyatira. What does he see in this church? Verse number 19, he sees the good. Uh, he says, I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works." Uh, and so he's, he's looking at this church, and he sees a lot of positive. There's good things within this church. There's good things happening, and uh, and again, I believe this to be an era of of the church history and, and everything through this. But you see this time of the church being effective, being active. They're doing a lot of good things. Uh, they have works. They show that they loved and they served people. They were patient with people. Does that describe the church that we're in today, the, the church era that we're in today? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, it's a little earlier on. But there was a lot of love going around. There was a lot of uh, being patient with people and, and understanding that they are going through and, and trying to help and, and, and lift them up, edify them. Uh, they put themselves or others, excuse me, in front of themselves. It says there at the end of verse nineteen, and the last to be more than the first. And so they are they are working and and serving and loving and showing their faith by their works, as James talks about. And they're doing this, and this is a good thing. Sometimes I think we read through these uh, uh, these these letters to the churches, and and we always point out the the bad things, and we forget about the good things. And for me as a pastor, it's always encouraging to read through this and remember um, just because we're not perfect doesn't mean that God ignores the, uh, the, the good things that we do, the things that we do right. Uh, and I want to make sure I clarify that the things that we do right versus the good things that we do, although I think they're the same thing. But, um, but nonetheless, God says, hey, I see it. You guys are working, you're loving, you're serving, you're in your community, uh, uh, you're, you're being faithful, uh, you're being patient. All these things are very, very positive things that this church is doing. But that being said, he says, verse 20, notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Um, and so not everything is good as we've seen with the other churches so far as well. Not everything is good. There is something going on within the church that should not be going on in the church. And uh, and there's the source of it right here. In verse number 20, it says, Because uh, thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. I don't believe, and again, I'll, I'll reiterate this probably every week. I'm a biblical literalist. I believe the Bible is literal. I think the things in the Bible are literal. I think there are other things, though, that in Scripture are things that are pictures of something. And Jezebel here, I don't think, is literally a woman the a woman named Jezebel in this situation. I believe it's a woman who acted like Jezebel uh, that we've read about in the Old Testament. And so, uh, and so, you have this woman Jezebel that calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things. Sacrificed unto idols, so we see here this woman that they're allowing to do a few things first of all she te- she taught um, she taught, and she was in the church teaching, and I believe preaching uh, here as well, and it says that she called herself a prophet a prophetess to teach, and so she 's in there, and not only is she teaching, but with that teaching she 's influencing um, one of the hardest things as a pastor is to give up uh, the, the, the pulpit, to allow someone else to speak. It's not easy. Um, we have a group of guys that, that rotate through Sunday school on Sunday mornings, and I am thankful for it, very much thankful for it. Um, but there are times where I'm sitting there and I'm not sure where a sentence is going. And I'm going. uh Oh, where are we going with this? Uh, you know, and then you get that that nervous anxiety that that you get, and thinking, oh, I hope this doesn't cause a stir, uh, and uh, you know those kinds of things. And 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 so far, it's always come back right. So, uh, but uh, you you have this um, when someone else is talking in in a position that you're normally talking in and uh, you 're not sure what they're going to say because i don't ask people to turn in an outline i don 't ask people to make me read through what they 're going to say or anything like that and uh, And even earlier in the church, it was probably even more nerve wrecking just because we had we were such a small church and we allowed some people to to teach It was really good for them to get into the Bible and study and and uh, and it was just a couple of us guys and it was it was it was a different setting uh, but there were times where I just i didn't know what was coming and uh, and that 's scary. Uh, that being said, uh, uh, well, have you ever been in a church where a woman got up to sing and she began to testify? I'll use that word testify. And uh, <laughs> you just don't know what's coming. And you're like, okay, let's, we brought you up here to sing. Why don't you go ahead and sing? Um, and she just keeps talking and talking and talking. You're and just going, please just sing, please just sing. And uh, then finally she sings and everything's fine. Uh, but uh, uh, this woman was given uh, or took, and they allowed it, uh, authority in the church. She was teaching like a prophetess. She proclaimed herself to be a prophetess. And so she was influencing uh, the church. And this is very serious uh, in First Timothy. And again, we're going to look at it in probably, I think, two weeks, maybe three. Um, but in First Timothy chapter 2, verse number 12... First Timothy two, verse number twelve, the Bible says, But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in transgression. Now we're going to explain that passage on a Sunday morning. Keep coming back, we'll explain that through. Uh, But the instruction is given. Uh, that the woman is not supposed to usurp authority or teach a man in the church it 's not her role it 's not her position and uh, and so here this woman has been uh, I, I think she kind of took it, uh, but then no one stopped her. And so they allowed this woman to come in and teach, and she's influencing, and she's uh, uh, clearly uh, teaching sin. It says there in verse 20 that uh, to seduce my servants to commit fornication. So if you wanted to argue about women preachers, that's one thing, even though it's wrong. uh, That's one thing, but you cannot argue about fornication. There's no... uh, um, honest Christian who will say, no, it's okay. No, it's clearly a sin. There's no questions about it. Again, I think women preachers is clearly a sin, no questions about it as well. But anyways, that being said, no one's going to... uh, um, Anybody who argues that fornication is not a sin, you know that they're just uh, foolish. Um, But uh, she has... And there's another thing in there too, though. It's not just the fornication, but also uh, to eat things sacrificed unto idols. So there was obviously still this... um, this mindset you look throughout scripture, God and his his focus on idolatry is so prevalent, and we get in, into these as we 're learning through these churches, and we see now there 's two things going on here that God is displeased with they, they have this woman, Jezebel, who is calling herself a prophetess, and she is teaching and she 's seducing to commit fornication, and she 's causing people to eat things. Sacrificed unto idols, so she's going against God. Um, she's causing other people to fall. Uh, she is influencing, and no one is doing anything about it. Now, listen. Um, you can, we can all look at Jezebel and go, uh, or this woman, and go, "Yep, she was wrong." And we can easily skip past the fact that remember, God's addressing the people in the church who haven't done anything about Jezebel. It's He's going to talk about Jezebel still, but, but. The the address here is coming to the church, not to Jezebel. You've allowed this. And that's a problem. That's a big, big time problem. Now look in verse 21. He says, I gave her space to repent of her fornication and she repented not. Uh, God says, I gave her space, uh, patience. I was patient, long-suffering. I gave her ample opportunity to repent, and she repented not. This woman knew she was wrong, and this woman refused to get right. Now, that's an individual thing to a degree. Uh, so God is, is looking at the church and saying, you let her do this. You gave her uh, uh, you suffered her to do this, you gave her the opportunity to do this, I gave her the opportunity to repent, and she would not do so. She was stubborn. She was holding fast to what she was doing. And what we learn about God is God will be patient for a time, and he will allow room for repentance, but at some point, God is going to suppress The wickedness. At some point, God is going to act. And if there's nothing that we've learned from Scripture, may we learn this, don't make God act. Just repent. We push our boundaries so often with God, and God says, you need to repent. You need to repent. That's going to come back to hurt you. You need to repent. And we go, well, I think I can go a little further with this. And we just keep on going, keep on going. Then when God steps in and disciplines, then we're like, God, why are you so mean? Why are you so hard on me? (laughs) And and I have to imagine that God rolls his eyes, sighs, and then says, repent. Uh, God is so patient with us. And yet we are oftentimes so stubborn. But we see God's suppression of the sin here in the the next two verses where he says, I will, different things that he'll do. Uh, Verse number 22, we need to see that God's going to be patient with his judgment. He says in verse 22, Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her uh, into great tribulation, uh, except they repent of their deeds. So even in God's judgment... There is still the patience of the opportunity to repent. You have been at some point in your life, somewhere, where you've had the decision: do I want to be patient still with this person, or do I want to end this? As a parent with a child, you know, there's there's moments where you can be patient and work through it in certain ways, and there's other and there's other moments where you're like, nope, we're done. <laughs> this is stopping right now. Um there's uh, moments like that in life with, between, in relationships uh, with friends where you're patient with your friend and you're patient with your friend and you're patient with your friend. At some point, you're like, I can't have this in my life. I, we're done. And, uh, and that's a hard thing to do. But God exemplifies it for us, and he says, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to cast her into a bed and all that commit adultery with her uh, into great tribulation, except they Repent of their deeds. So there's still patience even in his judgment. Um, uh, um, John Phillips said, prophecies of doom are usually uttered in hopes uh, that they might never have to be fulfilled. Uh, and I think that's interesting thought. Uh, that, that when God says judgment is coming, there's oftentimes a hope built into it. Uh, a reminder built into it that I don't want to do this. If your parents were anything like mine, uh, you know, my parents always told me, well, I don't want to spank you. You're making me spank you. Which my response was, no, I'm not. <laughs> I give you permission not to spank me. Um, but they didn't, they didn't like spanking me. It's not something they enjoyed doing, uh, but my actions demanded it. And, uh, and so, and the hope was that that spanking would do its job so that I wouldn't need another one after it, right? That's the idea behind it. And so the, uh, the prophecies of doom from God are usually uttered in hopes that, that it might not have to be fulfilled. Now God knew, knows and knew what was going to happen, but, uh, God's desire, he tells us in the scriptures, his desire was that all would come to him. And so he has this patient judgment, the offering of repentance. Look at Nineveh. Nineveh is a great example of this, right? Where the uh, um, uh, Jonah didn't have this patience, but God did, and He says, "Your your time's coming to an end unless you repent." And they repented, and God restored, or forgave, and saved, and 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 a wonderful uh, uh, revival that went on there in Nineveh. It's because of the patient judgment of God versus the irrational judgment of us where we're just like, no, we're done. And God says, repent. I'm giving you an opportunity to repent. But then we see some practical judgment too. Verse number 23, it says, and I will uh, kill her her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. We see this... um, this reasoning behind the judgment. God is, again, he's not irrational. And so his reasoning behind the judgment is the same reasoning that he did stuff to uh, Egypt. And it's the same reason that he did stuff. All throughout scripture, you look at it, why does God judge? So that they would know that I am God. So that the enemy knows that I am God, so that my children know that I am God. That's the whole purpose behind his judgment, that you shall know God. He says there um, in, in the middle of verse 23, all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and the hearts. It's, it's the purpose of the judgment is to know God. The, the purpose of the chastisement, of the discipline, of the punishment, of the victories that God gives is so that people will understand and know God and know who he is, and that's what it's all about and uh and so this this judgment that is going to come for those who do not repent in this situation especially saying it's so that the church will know that it's me this God that I'm the one who searches and knows the reins of the heart it's a, again an interesting phrasing that God uses here uh but the reins and hearts it's that directional it's the, uh, uh, what's guiding you. Uh, it's what your heart, what your mind is on. Uh, God will know it, and he wants you to know him. Uh, and then we see as well in verse 23, just complete judgment, meaning, it's what we talked about at the beginning, where he says, I will give unto every one of you according to your works. So that is not just bad. It is good, too. For those that do right, there is reward. For those that do what God tells them to do, there is reward. And we'll look at that more down the road. But we see these last couple of verses are interesting, and we're going we're gonna to come back to some of these in a, in a couple of weeks. But uh, let's start in verse number 24. Um, but unto you I say, and unto the rest of Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. Um, if you look at this passage on Thyatira and, and go back and look at the story of Lot in Sodom, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, lot and uh, uh, God calls him just, uh, which I can't figure out for the life of me why. <laughs> but God calls him just, so he was just. And, uh, and Lot in and Sodom, he was one of, of only a couple who found favor with God. And while he was there, uh, there was this, um, there were really none that would stay true to God. Lot ultimately would, uh, and he was hoping that others would, and, uh, and his, his uncle was hoping that others would, but really at the end of the day, Lot, Lot was basically it. Um, and there were few; there were only few that would remain true to God. Uh, when that's all said and done, and that's what we're looking at here. He says in verse 25, "Those that have already, uh, the, the, that which you have already, hold fast till I come. Stay true. Hold fast to, your, to the true doctrine." In verse 21, he's talking to those that have not the doctrine of the of the Jezebel, the woman here. Um, and so it's this idea of of you're going to be very minimal very minimal. There's not going to be a lot of you. Hold true. Hold fast. Uh, stand strong. And there's a gift that you get for doing so. Verse 26, he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end. And that's similar to some other phrase that we saw earlier. Uh, but him that overcometh and, uh, and keepeth my works to the end, to him will I give power over the nations. We're going to come back to that part in a, in a week or two or three, um, but we're so we are going to come back to that. But in verse twenty seven, he shall rule uh, them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of Potter uh, shall be shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father, and I will give him the morning star. Um, the morning star throughout Scripture is 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 Christ. And the person who holds, who stands, who stays, who does what God desires for them to do, the gift they get, the reward they get is the morning star. It is Christ. Now, now, I don't believe we're talking about salvation in this situation just because of the the context of the passage. Um, But I believe it is a... um, Well, to go back to, to, again, within the context of verse 26, we talked about the power given here. I think you can look back to Moses. I don't think we're going to be given all the powers that Moses were given or all the the, the even influence that Moses had, but I think that we see the gift that Moses was given to be able to do things that without God's power he could not do, Um, to be given the, uh, I guess authority might be the right word for it, or uh but where uh the where other people will see that God's with you. And there's going to be an influence there because of that. Um and that comes to those who are faithful. And he says in verse twenty nine, he that hath an ear let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He is he's teaching us here uh the importance of just staying faithful, of just doing what you're supposed to be doing. There is. There are those in the church who have done good things. They've loved and they've served and they've been faithful and they've been patient uh, and they've put others in front of themselves and they've, I believe, invested into their community and and loved people who who a lot of people would not love. But in doing so, they allowed a false doctrine, a wicked doctrine into the church. They allowed this woman to come in, and now she's, she's telling them it's okay to do these sins because it's, it's religious. And it's okay to eat this even though it's been idol, uh, offered to idols. And, and they go through all this, and they've allowed it to happen. They've allowed her to kind of take over, and God says, listen, I've given her a chance to repent, and she hasn't done it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw her into a bed, and anyone who follows her, except they repent, I'm going to judge, and I'm going to give you the good that, you, that is belonging to you and the, the negative that is belonging to you. It's coming. And, uh, and he says, for those who hold fast, for those who stand true, for those who, um, again, I, to me it's just, again, I don't get it, but the way God viewed Lot, um, we look at Lot and go, man, what a bunch of mistakes that guy made. <laughs> and then God calls them just, and I'm sitting there going, huh? Well, the reality is it's the same, same with me. If I'll hold fast and, and be true, it's not to say that I haven't sinned, not to say that I haven't made mistakes, not to say that I haven't disappointed God time and time again, but God looks at me, and when I'm right with God especially, God looks at me and he says, no, man, your slate's been wiped clean. You're just. Not because of anything you've done, because of what Christ has done. But remember, back in verse eighteen, he's got the uh, the eyes as a flame of fire, and feet are like fine brass. He's going to judge, and those who come through that judgment, those who hold fast, those who overcome, uh, they're going to be given uh, a power. And we're going again. We're going to come back to this, uh, but we're going to be given a power, and they're going to be given the morning star, Jesus Christ, and uh, and again. I don't ever want to confuse anyone and say, well, if you overcome and if you do the good things, then you get Jesus. That's not what I mean by that as far as salvation goes. I think we all know that. We've all been around long enough to know that I wouldn't, wouldn't teach that. Um, what it is saying, though, is that we are given something extra. Uh, and again, from everything that I've seen, I think Moses might be the best example of that. Again, I don't think we're going to go split, split rivers and seas. Um, But you see Moses given, when he steps in front of uh, uh, Pharaoh, he's not there representing Moses. He's there representing Jesus, and Jesus helped him through that. And I believe that would be more similar to what we're talking about here uh, in this passage. Every single one we go through, it's a reminder to us that we're supposed to be faithful. And no matter what anybody else is doing, we're supposed to be faithful. And we're supposed to do what's right. And we're supposed to follow God. And when we do, uh, God is there with us every step of the way, helping us, strengthening us, and honestly, rewarding us. And uh, and we'll continue to look at those rewards as we move forward uh, as well. So next week, we're going to look at Sardis. Um, so we've got, I think, what, three more churches to go through? Um, and then after that, we'll come back and look at some of these endings of some of these passages. I want to revisit some of the endings uh, we'll do that in a week, uh, one of the weeks, and then we'll and then we'll move forward from there um, as well. Because a lot of these endings, not all of them, but a lot of these endings have some interesting terminology, and I think they all fit together uh, once we're through them all. So we'll come back to those as well. Uh, Lord, help us to be what we're supposed to be. Uh, Lord, that when you judge us, uh, that we'll we'll uh, get through the trying process, um, and Lord, we'll come out the way you desire for us to. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to understand what is biblical and what is right, what we need to stand firm on. Uh, God, help us to uh, stand against sin, stand for for righteousness and truth. And uh, Lord, give us what we need to do so. Uh, Lord, help us uh, as well to see our need of repentance. Uh, Lord, when we sin, you give us that opportunity to repent. So Lord, help us to quickly do so. And claim the truth of your word that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, Lord, we want to stand before you um, faithful and, uh, Lord, that you'd be pleased uh, with us. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, take out your prayer list if you got it.